Hi, everyone. I'm Kara Scott, and welcome to this episode of The Heart of Poker, sponsored by 888 Poker, a podcast that aims to introduce you and me to the players we already know so well, but in a totally new way. Now, I've interviewed a lot of people in my 15 years in poker. My own preference is for the more personal side of the game. The weirder the questions, the more I really feel like I know the person on a level outside of hand histories and tournament recaps. So for this podcast, I'm using a set of questions that was designed by psychologists almost 25 years ago to try to see if they could get strangers to fall in love. Now I'm modifying the questions just slightly as it is a very long list and we just don't have time for all of them. And also some of them aren't totally appropriate for what we're doing. But otherwise, these are the questions that they came up with to try to find a shortcut to intimacy and getting to know someone on a deeper level fast. So... Can we hack intimacy and shortcut our way to knowing our favorite poker personalities better? Let's find out together. My guest today is one of my favorite people in the game. I have literally never heard anyone who knows her say a bad word about her. She was inducted into the Women in Poker Hall of Fame in 2018 in her very first year of eligibility, both because she's a top-class poker player and also because she's a fantastic commentator. And it is, of course, Maria Ho. And uh, full disclosure, we're already friends, so I don't need these questions to like her even more. I'm just kind of doing this for you, the listeners. (laughs) And you're welcome. So welcome, Maria. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, I really appreciate you doing this with me. Uh, Are you feeling prepared for this? Have you heard some of these questions already? You know, I listened to a little bit of Chris Mormon's podcast that he did with you, and um, I'm I feel prepared, but you know, you can only prepare so much for whatever yeah. you're going to throw at me right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we start off with the easy questions first. There are three different sets of questions, and they get progressively more personal. So we start off, you know, just kind of get in the get to know you phase of of falling in love. And uh, the original question from this set is. Would you like to be famous and in what way? But you've already tasted that, you know, between poker and your time on The Amazing Race. What's it like being famous? (sighs) You know, I still don't consider myself famous just because that was never a part of poker that drew me to the game initially you know I never thought that Mm. that would come with the territory but I mean yeah I do still think that it is weird to be recognized because when I think (laughs) about what I do for a living it's like oh wait people think that's cool like people are interested in that um it's always (laughs) kind of surprising still to this day but you know I'm really humbled just because I think it's cool to have the ability to maybe make somebody's day. And sometimes when people seem really excited to talk to me or to meet me, um, that really makes me feel like I was able to, you know, make some kind of impact. And that's really cool. Yeah, I on my side of it as well, I think when people kind of recognize who I am, I feel gratified, like the work that I'm doing, the thing that I spend most of the time of my life doing as an adult is not just worth it, but uh, that other people like it, that they've enjoyed what I've done. And I feel like I've done a good job. So I don't know, I'm not famous and I'm certainly not at your level, but whenever I get recognized, it really does kind of, yeah, it gives me a little bit of a boost to think, well, you know, you're doing a good job. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So second question would be, what would you say is your most annoying habit? This is a hard one. I think Uh, poker players are known to have quite a few bad habits. So what do you think one of yours is? 
Huh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, I would say, okay, so I'm a little bit of a micromanager. Um, so if you're my friend or somebody that I'm dating, like I'm one of those people that like constantly repeats the same thing a few times because I'm not sure if they heard me <laughs> the first time. Because I want to make sure, you know, it goes a certain way as planned. And so all my friends know that, you know, if we make plans to do something, I'm like very detail oriented, but I'll always text them and I'll be like, okay, so I checked ways and it looks like it's going to take 45 minutes. So you should leave by 1115. <laughs> and I, I'm sure that's like really annoying for people, but sometimes it's helpful in um, other respects. But I feel like all of my friends find that annoying. Like they're like, yeah, I'm an adult. I get it. I know how to show up somewhere on time thanks but I don't know I think I'm trying to be helpful so I don't know you're like the mom you're the mom of your group kind of yeah well that's not a bad thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think probably one of mine would be I'm it's not that I'm lazy (laughs) I mean I work really hard I like working really hard but I can sometimes find it so difficult just to get out of the house or the hotel room, which is not great. I mean, we get to go to some pretty amazing places. And when someone says, you know, let's go for lunch, let's go for dinner. I'm like, wow, I also have Netflix and a really (laughs) cozy bed. So I don't know. I'm kind of working on that. I don't don't feel like that makes you lazy though. I feel like that just makes you more like a homebody. Yeah, it could be. It could be. It is kind of something I'm working on pushing myself to kind of get out of my comfort zone. Are you, you know, pushing yourself to not micromanage as much? Or is it just easier if you do? Because quite frankly, as a habit goes, I think it probably makes your life easier. Yeah, I I definitely have, I've established some boundaries, like in terms of who I do it with, like, I have to feel really comfortable with the person to do that. Um, So I'm trying to just do that less overall. But I'm also very careful with who I feel comfortable enough doing that with because I don't really want to seem like I think people can't handle themselves. But that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, the next question is kind of an interesting one. It's name three things that you think that we have in common. So at this point in the like pseudo date where two strangers would be sitting across from each other, we'd be talking about things we think we have in common without knowing much about each other. But you and I have actually known each other for quite a long time. So this shouldn't be too hard. Yeah, well, I feel like one thing that we have in common is I feel like we both really like to speak our mind and mm-hmm. um we're very open with you know the idea of maybe putting stuff out there that people may not want to hear but we kind of want to be able to feel comfortable enough to um say how we really feel and i think we both kind of have had situations where you know we're we're willing to kind of stand up for for our place and for what we think and i think we like we we feel empowered by that so mm-hmm. that's one thing i know we have in common Yeah. Would you say for you that that comes from like the length of time that you've been in this industry? Does that help when you want to kind of stand up and say things? Because I mean, we've put in the years we have like paid our dues. (laughs) Right. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, yeah, I think it was something that I grew into. I think I had to get more comfortable with just my place in the industry and just also myself, I think, especially getting older, I think whether you're a man or a woman, I think you just start feeling more confident in your opinions and your beliefs. And once you do, then you're willing to do what it takes to stand by them, even if it might ruffle some feathers. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can see that. 
Um, another thing we have in common um, is we both really <laughs> like to eat. Um, yes, we do. Because I noticed that you uh, you always have some good orders in Ferrara <laughs> when we have a, when we have a selection of what we want to eat. You're always like, I have food envy with you because when you pick something, I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally should have gotten what Kara got. That sounds so good. <laughs> you know why that is? It's because I always pick two entrees. Yeah. I can't help myself. I even do it like I do it in for room service sometimes, but I usually put the shower on and shut the door so they think someone else is there. Because oh they'll order like same. two or three entrees. Yes, you do that too. Yeah. They'll be like, so how many people are dining? Because they want to know how many uh, setups and cutlery to bring. And I'll be like, oh yeah, four. Uh, but it's really just <laughs> for me so I love that about you I really do <laughs> yeah okay um, one more thing you think you might have in common oh uh, I think we I mean there's just so many things I'm like um I think we both work really hard yeah uh, I mean I your work ethic, right, yeah. yeah like your work ethic is something that I have always uh respected you know we've worked together on a couple of different shows now my favorite is always going to be the world series of poker when we're doing the break desk for ESPN the fact that they you know kind of let us do it just the two of us this year was like finally finally yeah. we get to just do this together <laughs> but the thing is you prepare you work really hard you like you show up on time there's no chasing you around. And that's something that I, I definitely value and respect in you. And it's something that I think is important for myself too. So I would say that's another thing we have in common. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have told you, you know, both via text and in person that I just admire your professionalism. And in general, I feel like I've always had this attitude of, you know, regardless of how maybe mainstream might view poker sometimes there is still this little bit of stigma i want to always portray mm. poker and poker players in the best light possible and a lot of that um i think a big way in which i can do that is to show up and have a good work ethic and have a good attitude and you know maybe not wear my sweatpants to work every day. Um, you know, there's just like a yeah, couple of not things. Naming any names here. <laughs> right. Like maybe just a couple of things to kind of put that foot forward for the industry. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely learned my work ethic from my parents because, mm. you know, they immigrated here from Taiwan and they really came here with nothing and they worked really hard to support their family. And so I feel like that was something that I learned at a very young age. It's funny because the next question is actually, it's definitely on the more personal side now. We've kind of buttered you up with the easy ones. It's if you could change anything about the way that you were raised, what would it be? I find this a really difficult one to answer personally. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know that you have a lot of respect for, you know, what your parents did and how they, what they gave you growing up. Yeah, it's so interesting because when I was younger, I feel like that list would have been so long. Like I, oh, yeah. I would have wanted to change so many things about my upbringing. But now, obviously, I'm still not a parent myself, but I definitely can put myself in my parents' shoes a lot more and consider the fact that a lot of the things that they did that I didn't like was for my own benefit. Um, so, mm -hmm. I mean, I would say that a part of me, I kind of wish my parents were maybe a little more communicative with me. I feel like it was a very defined parent child role. And I kind of wish mm -hmm. that it may have maybe bled into us possibly being like friends too, um, because I found it kind of hard to go to them 
with things and to to talk to them openly about stuff. But luckily, I found other outlets to do that um, with. But I felt like if I had that with my parents, then maybe it would have prevented me from getting in trouble or doing something <laughs> that, you know, maybe I could have just been honest with them and they could have offered me some advice instead of me feeling like I needed to hide everything from them. So, yeah. Did you get in trouble growing up? It's so, it's so hard for me to picture that. I'll be honest. Oh my gosh. So not too many people know this, but I guess more Ooh. people know now. But yes, I was <laughs> I was a rebel without a cause. Like oh, I, love I it. had no reason to just act out. But like for sure in my middle school and early high school days, I was a little bit of a troublemaker. <laughs> what kind of trouble did you get in? Come on. Well, I mean, I definitely got caught shoplifting in middle school at yeah. like a bunch of CDs from Tower uh -huh. Records. Definitely got caught doing that. And and it wasn't like my it wasn't like I didn't have the ability to ask my parents for, you know, $10 to buy a CD. It was just like, oh, mm -hmm. let's live on the edge and let's do something that we shouldn't do. Um and, you know, I, I definitely like got into like one or two um, fights at school or oh, like did you times. Win? Um, you won. That's a great question. I would say <laughs> I won one and I lost one. So, you know, my high school fighting career is pretty tied. Um, <laughs> but also I got caught ditching school and then mm. my parents had to come to the um, to the principal's office to come pick me up and yeah, it was, it was kind of Man. a lot. <laughs> you know what I think teenager you probably would have hated teenager me and I'm not even kidding I was <laughs> such a goody goody and I was terrified of basically everything I ditched as well but when my, they called my parents into school my mom was like is she at the top of her class yes okay she can ditch if she wants and that was it that was literally it it was like that was the worst thing I think I did. All of my friends and all the people I knew were like, they were like smoking pot and doing worse things. And I was like, just terrified. Isn't so weird when I look back on it. It's really hard for me to like recognize that person a little bit. I don't know. Do you ever feel that looking back or can you kind of see your progression through? I, you know, it's actually probably as hard for me to imagine how I was back then as it is for you or, you know, some other people who know me now. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't mind having that as part of my upbringing, just because I do feel like that taught me a lot of life lessons pretty early on. And I think getting in trouble with my parents um, and having them take disciplinary action was good for me. Um, so not that, you know, at the time, of course, I didn't want to get caught. But looking back, I kind of liked the fact that I wasn't able to get away with things. And especially coming home to my parents, they were very strict. Um, and so there was just none of that that wasn't ever going to fly. And so I think that helped a lot in my development as a person. Um, mm -hmm. But it's hard for me to imagine that I went and caused all of this uh, trouble and wreaked <laughs> all this havoc for no good reason, really. Yeah, I'm definitely of the opinion as well that all of the things that we do and all the things that we kind of go through make us who we are. I like who I am. So, you know, there's kind of nothing I would take back. But man, I do wish I'd had a little more of your um, daring as a, as a teenager. I probably would have had a lot more fun, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, okay, so the second set of questions is going to be a little bit more personal. Um, the first one is, 
Is there something that you've dreamed of doing for a long time, but haven't done? And why haven't you done it? You've done so many things. It's kind of hard for me to imagine that there's something that you have on your list that you haven't already kind of made strides towards. You know, I feel like the one thing that I've been wanting to do and I haven't done is probably um, start my own like charity event or charity series. I feel like I've participated in so many. Obviously, poker was, you know, such a good avenue to kind of get involved in a lot of fundraising type efforts, but I've hosted them. I've attended them, but I feel like I've never really all the causes are great, obviously, but I've never really, you know, been able to put my name on something and a cause that I feel very personally attached to. And that's something that I feel like I've been wanting to do because I want to have a bigger impact and because I want to be able to pick something that's very close to my heart and dedicate all of my time and energy to that. But I think I'm a little bit afraid of failing for some reason. It's it's like, you know, I've built up a lot of connections and and I have this wide network of people that I can call on because I know, you know, for for these type of events, you have to call in some favors and, you know, you need people to show up and you need people to donate things. And for some reason, I don't like asking people Mm -hmm. for help and I don't ever want to put pressure on people. So a part of me has been kind of afraid to take that on because of that aspect, but also because I'm like, well, what if I attach my name to this and nobody shows up? And what if nobody comes and supports this cause, then that would be like very personally devastating. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm a little bit afraid of that. Hmm. Is there something in particular, like some uh, area of charity work that does kind of have your heart that is there something in particular, like a company that you would want to support or? Yeah, so there's like been there's one particular one for the last few years when I'm in town in LA, I go and volunteer at this school where um, their after school program is particularly for kids that have parents that are incarcerated and in the system. So they don't really have any parent figures, but they also don't have any help with their education. They don't have, you know, after school tutoring or anybody or even their parents around to help them with their homework. And so um, I've always wanted to be a teacher actually growing up before I found poker. Um, And so I started volunteering and it was basically a way for you to keep these kids out of trouble after school, but also help them with their homework. And I just really got attached to a lot of these kids. And I just always wanted to do more for kids that don't necessarily have a lot of um, good influences around them after, you know, after school, because once they're, you know, once that school bell rings, I feel like they live in neighborhoods where they can get into a lot of trouble. And, you know, being a past (laughs) troublemaker myself, um, I just want (laughs) to find ways to help them um, stay out of trouble and keep their eye on the prize where education is concerned. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to, either try to expand on that by maybe building some type of center um, where they can come and they can get help with their homework, but they can also have activities that they can do and things like that. So um, it's, it's a very big uh, undertaking for sure, but that's probably what I would be most inclined to, to work towards. Wow. That is, it's a really interesting and already well thought out plan. I mean, 
when you do this, because I'm going to say that this is probably something that you are going to do when you do this, if you do need help, like definitely call on me because I'm going to say yes. So don't don't worry about that. (laughs) I love this idea. Yeah, it's it's definitely something I've thought about for a while. And I I do this. I feel like this question is like kind of the kick in the butt that I needed to go and do that because I'm like, okay, well, I have thought about this for a long time. But yeah. Yeah, you know what you want to do, man, it would be such a great place to have. I mean, you could even do like board games and stuff. Kids play Mm -hmm. board games still, right? It's not just adults. It's not just people our age that play board games. It's not funny that like as adults, we're like always wanting to have a game night and like... (laughs) Kids Maybe are probably like, like board games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. Well, the next question was going to be, what's the greatest accomplishment in your life? I imagine this one, when it does happen, is going to be up there. But in the meantime, what would you think is your greatest accomplishment? Mm, that's also a good question. Um, I, I mean, I feel like being inducted in the Women Poker Hall of Fame is a pretty big deal for me. Like it was definitely mm-hmm. up there. But I feel like it's it's a little more broader than that. I think for me, my biggest accomplishment is just the ability to say that, you know, I've been in this industry that um, is somewhat unconventional and also um, male dominated. And I feel like I've been able to succeed, but not only just succeed, but I also feel like I've been able to represent this game in in a really positive way. And that to me is my biggest accomplishment because there's definitely, whether it's this industry or other industries, I think there's always things that happen that can get you sidetracked and and maybe, you know, have you making bad decisions that don't really reflect well on yourself and doesn't represent who you are or your community. And I can proudly say that I feel like everything I've ever done in this industry is something that I can stand by that I'm proud of that I know my parents can be proud of. And so just being able to represent myself well, in this industry for, you know, almost 15 years now is something that I consider my greatest accomplishment. When you take on projects, or when you're making big decisions that might kind of go either way, do you think about how, you know, it's going to appear to the wider world to your parents? Do you think about, you know, what your ultimate impact is, what you're, what you want to do, or do you just yeah. kind of go with your gut? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little of both now that, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. So I feel like it's evolved <laughs> into a little bit of both for sure. When I was younger, I think I did a lot of things just to please my parents or other people, or maybe I would do things, um, because I was very image conscious in a superficial way, like meaning I wouldn't, it wasn't necessarily driven by my values, but more just because I wanted people to have a good perception of me. But as I got older, I obviously formed very strong opinions of the person that I am and who I want to be Mm -hmm. and how I want to represent myself. And so now a lot of my decisions are guided by that. But I would be lying if I said, you know, my parents weren't at least a little bit of the voice in my head a lot of the times and they always will be, but I don't really mind that as much because I know that if there was something that I wanted to do that I wasn't sure how my parents would feel about it, I I feel like I would still be able to do that. But at the same time, it's okay for me to always want to, you know, make sure that I'm representing 
where I come from well and who, you know, who my parents are. And I think that's okay, but I don't think they would influence me to the degree that they used to. Yeah. But having that voice, I think is, it's really valuable because it's another perspective as well. It's something that I find myself, uh, I may not always follow that little voice, which might be, you know, my mom's voice in my head sometimes, but it's something that makes me go, oh, you know, why is this kind of making me think about it? Maybe I should put some more thought into it. Maybe I need to think about the ramifications a little bit more and I might still do it, but it's really good for me anyways to kind of have that little voice saying, well, just have it, have another think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See how it's going to play out. I don't know. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One more question in this section. And that is, um, we've already done, what do you want to be when you grow up? You wanted to be a teacher, which I think is really cool. <laughs> I actually used to be a teacher. So <laughs> that's another thing we have in common. So there you go. Um, yeah. What is one of your most treasured memories? Do you have kind of a happy place memory somewhere, you know, that you go to for a little bit of deep breathing, calm or happiness? I feel like it's always involving my grandmother who it's my mom's mom and she passed Mm. um, a few years ago, but she used to live in the States with us. And she was the one who basically raised my sister and I, because my parents were working all the time and they would come home late from work when we first uh, immigrated to the States. And it's always just revolves around her cooking for us or just me sitting on the couch with her. And she would always, um, <laughs> well, another thing that you guys, this is getting very personal, but I think I'm I know. choosing <laughs> to allow it to be personal, but she would always kind yes. of like rub my tush. Um, Aww. and like, you know, that's just so, like in that's a very so grandma. relaxing <laughs> way. And like, I just remember loving that. And just, I would like lay Aww. on the couch with her and put my head on her lap and she would, <laughs> and she that's would just, so you know, sweet. soothe me. <laughs> That is really sweet. That's such a grandma thing to do as well. So sweet. You could just picture that. (laughs) How old were you when you, when you uh, emigrated? Um, We, so I was five when we left Mm -hmm. Taiwan and then we came to New York first where we had some extended family that was living there already. And then we made the move to LA after that. And then I was basically raised in LA since I was six years old. So. Okay. Wow. It's a, do you still have a lot of memories of before you came over to the States? I don't remember a lot of my time in Taiwan, but I did go back and visit pretty much every year up until my grandmother passed because we still had family there. Um, But yeah, it was really hard to remember some of those memories. I have more vivid memories, definitely, of when we first moved to the States. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been quite a a shock, I would think, at that age, because it's such a massive change of life. Yeah. And I feel like, for me, it was I just realized that everything here was so different. Like, I didn't know why it was different, but obviously mm-hmm. just even the people, just the way they looked and the way they talked, I just remember it being so different, but I didn't really like, I couldn't make sense of, of what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. I was just like, oh, my mind was just blown by it. But yeah. yeah. I can imagine. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, I'm sure I've, I've spoken about this, about, 
having a baby ad nauseum. So everyone knows I did about almost two years ago. Um, but we recently moved to Italy. Uh, we moved back to Italy because we had lived there before. My my husband is Italian. And we decided to leave Slovenia where we were living. We were super happy to go back to Italy to make sure that um, our daughter had family around because it was really important to me. My family's all in Canada, which is mm -hmm. awful in a way because you know I miss them, but I also want her to have lots of time with them too. And that's difficult. Um, but at least Italy was close so we could move there and be around his family. And so she has that. And I was really conscious of wanting to do that before she got to be too much older because I kind of didn't want it to be this big shock for her. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that she felt like she had somewhere that she belonged, that she knows that she's Italian, that she speaks Italian kind of without an, without an accent mm -hmm. so that everyone treats her like she belongs as well because she is an Italian citizen, but she's also a Canadian citizen and she's a British citizen and she was born in Slovenia. And, you know, like this is, she has this really weird mix of cultures. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of important to me. Did you feel when you moved, how long did it take you to feel like you belonged there? Like you belonged in the States? I would say it took me a little while. Like maybe I would say, six or seven years, like probably until I was like entering middle school, um, because all throughout elementary and primary school, I just remember feeling very different because, for example, my mom would pack me like a bento box lunch, you know, and, yeah. and I would show up and I'd be eating my lunch with chopsticks and everybody else would be having, you know, a sandwich or pizza. <laughs> and it made me feel kind of like an outsider and it made me feel very different. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was easy for me in terms of assimilating in the sense of like, obviously I picked up English right away because I was just starting to learn, um, how to talk and in sentences anyway. So it wasn't like there was this weird transition of me not being able to communicate with, with my classmates or whatever, but it was just this. And also, but it was just a sense of like me coming from a different place because of what I ate for lunch, but also what mm -hmm. I would wear because my parents would like dress me in things that were, you know, that just didn't look like what the other kids were wearing. <laughs> like I didn't know what like Nike was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those things took a little while, but I, I feel like I'm a pretty adaptable person. And, mm -hmm. and I think the younger that I came, the easier it was. So luckily, you know, if I feel like I came when I was a teen, it would actually take even longer. So, yeah, it's a really valuable life experience, I think, to have mm -hmm. that kind of fitting in experience where you kind of have to figure out where you fit in. You don't just automatically fit in. Right. <laughs> you have to kind of make that happen. And, you know, maybe that's part of why you're such a strong character, why you have so much faith in your own, you know, uh, enormous abilities in poker and also in commentating and broadcasting. I don't know. Yeah, that think could it might definitely have. have yeah, yeah, I could. I could definitely see that. Like, I don't think I've made that connection before. But now that you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, I can. I feel like I can see that being relevant. Okay, well, the last set of questions, um, the first one is, and it can be from that time of your life that we were just talking about, or, or anything as an adult as well. Um, so share with your partner, that's me, an embarrassing moment in your life. So something embarrassing or a time when you felt really embarrassed. If you need some time to think about it, um, I can tell you one of mine, or you can just go straight ahead. Well, I know mine, <laughs> but I just want to hear oh, yours. <laughs> 
I've got too, I've got too many, I'm sure to count. I, I was trying to think of one for the podcast and I was like, Oh yeah. I remember a very long time ago, like 20 years ago, I was working as, um, like a background extra for television and films. I was doing some fight scenes as well. Cause I used to do Muay Thai. And so I do a lot of that. And I was hired on this British TV show called Richard and Judy. And I was supposed to do like a skit where I even, I talked and everything, which was like a really big deal for me. Cause I was like being an actor. And afterwards we all went to the green room and we had snacks and it was really exciting, but Richard and Judy were there. And, uh, I guess I looked way too out of place and like a little too starstruck, which is embarrassing. Uh, and they had me removed. They literally oh. had me removed. And I remember just like my face felt like it was going to boil. Cause oh. every, I, it felt like everyone was looking at me and I was like, no, I, I legitimately have a right to, I, I just worked, but I also didn't know how to say that. I didn't know how to go, but no, like I'm not just a random person off the street. I, I just did a piece of something for your show and they had me removed and then someone brought my bag out to me. And I just remember just like getting on the, tr on the tube and just being like, Oh my God, I feel so embarrassed. And I, I like, even now I kind of get a flush when I think about it, which is embarrassing because I am 44 and uh, that shouldn't really, <laughs> it shouldn't get me, but it's still bad. I'm like, I'm mad on behalf of poor little 20 something me. I'm mad at Richard and Judy. Terrible people. Oh. Anyway, there you go. That's my embarrassing moment or one of oh them. Oh my gosh. That's it. That's it. Oh. That's a good one. That is, that is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so mine is, yeah, it, it happens to be from my, uh, my rebellious days, but, um, <laughs> and it's along the lines of me ditching school. So I basically, got caught ditching school, but it, it had happened so many times already that I had forged my mom's signature on, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of letters at this point. And the school had compiled it all in this binder <laughs> oh, no. and then called my mom to come to the school to look through these notes to confirm that it wasn't her that signed them. So oh. unbeknownst to me, I'm like in gym class at this point. But this is what my mom had been doing for, you know, a good 45 minutes to an hour. And then she comes into gym class, like in the locker room while we're about to change at the end of um, at the end of the period. And she comes in oh. with this whole binder full of the forge notes and she throws it at me. And there's oh my all God. of, she's like screaming. She's like, you ditch school for like <laughs> 60 days. And she's like throwing <laughs> the papers up in the air in the locker room. All of my classmates were just like, watching they were like bewildered um and she like and she literally just like and my hair was what I think I like I took a shower and she like literally like dragged me out of the locker room like wet and in my wet gym clothes and she's just like with all and there's just all these forged notes like left behind in the locker room <laughs> That's like something crazy. out of a TV show. Yeah, my mom's pretty ballsy. She has no shame. She didn't care. She wanted to embarrass me. I bet it worked too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So did you go back to school after that? Like, did people talk about it? Was it? Oh, yeah. Were you infamous? Tons oh. of people talked about it, and like I, I came back the next day. I left school for the rest of the day, and then um, I came back the next day, and everybody was just like, 
wow, your mom is a G. (laughs) (laughs) Whose mom does that? Yeah, she did not care. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, One of the last couple of questions. When was the last time you cried in front of someone or by yourself? That's a, that's a big question. I actually just cried a couple days ago. Um, when I found out that Kobe Bryant died and just the circumstances in which him and his daughter and the rest of the people that were on that helicopter, just, it was, you know, growing up in LA, I obviously have a deep rooted love and affinity for Kobe, but just those circumstances are so incredibly tragic of it. What really I think got me was just this idea of him being on this helicopter with his daughter and in their final moments and him wishing that there was something he could do to save her life. And I just couldn't imagine, I mean, how appalling and difficult that would be to feel like there's nothing you can do. And you're, you know, that your daughter is going to die, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. It makes me feel physically sick when I think about it. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, it's, yeah. (laughs) I think having become a parent very recently, those sorts of things really, I don't know, they resonate in a different way with me now. Um, every time I look at my, my kid, I think, my God, if anything were to ever happen to, I would die. I would just die. And you can't be like that because, you know, you have to be, you have to be your strong, good parental self and, you know, kind of make sure that they feel safe and secure. But yeah, I think it's probably the same thing. I would have, that would be the last time I cried as well, because, and for the same reasons that, that, the idea that they were on the helicopter together. It's just, it's really sad. It's really, yeah. really sad. Yeah. yeah. And it's clearly resonated with a lot of people. People are talking a lot about the grief of it. So yeah. 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 Okay. One more question and then we're all done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is a long one. Your house containing everything that you own catches fire. After saving your all of your loved ones and your pets, you have time to safely make one final dash for any one item. So what do you save? Um, I mean, I feel like I definitely would have to say, you know, whatever it is now that we have all our photos on, because I feel like it would always be something like photo albums. I'm a very sentimental person. I can't think of one thing of, of, you know, value that materialistically that I would need to have with me. Um, so, but maybe we don't have photo albums now. So maybe that would just be like my iPhone or my laptop or um, my hard drive. I don't know, but it would just be something like that because I feel like I love, I love anything that, that just helps me remember a moment in time. And, you know, a lot of my keepsakes are, are just really in the form of photos or, you know, cards or something like that. So it would have to be something like that. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. I think when people there, you know, some people don't think it's great that we have this uh, dependence on our electronics, our phones and our laptops and that kind of thing, and would kind of laugh at the idea that that would be the thing to save in a fire. But honestly, this is how we record our lives now. This is Mm -hmm. where, you know, all of these messages might be saved on the hard drive of my laptop. And, you know, if that goes and the backups go, 
I don't have all of these conversations I had with my now husband when we were first dating. Yeah. And I would really like to see those. And I'd love, you know, for my daughter to be able to see the really clean version of that <laughs> when she's holding it. <laughs> but, you know, I just, it's how we record our lives now. The idea that just because of the way it's recorded is electronic doesn't make it any less valuable. It kind of annoys me when people sneer a little bit at, at yeah. the electronic. No, <laughs> no, for sure. And I think it's, I, I think it's just definitely about making sure that we use our electronics, like for these type of reasons, instead of just to, to be on it, you know, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's just another way of living our lives. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, everything can be, uh, you know, you can use anything for good or bad. Most things anyways. <laughs> right. Well, there we go. That's it. And now at the end, um, the psychologists recommend spending two to four minutes silently making eye contact. <laughs> That's the real clincher for falling in love, apparently, but it does not lend itself very well to an audio podcast. So, uh, and we're doing this remotely. So uh, Maria, you and I are just going to have to promise to stare creepily at each other for a while the next time we see each other. <laughs> yeah, I think today. you have to promise that the next time, instead of Netflix and chilling, you'll come out <laughs> for dinner. And oh, then yeah. we'll go do our fa one of our favorite things, which is eat together, and then we'll stare into each other's eyes. See, I'm all for that. And you can totally micromanage me on that. <laughs> you can decide where we're going, what we're eating. I don't even care. It sounds good. <laughs> and we'll only order, you know, like six entrees between the two of us. That's and we'll tell them that we're waiting for people that just don't show up. And that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Or we'll own it. Hell, we'll just own it. This is all for us. <laughs> Exactly. For all the rest of you, yeah. <laughs> so that was okay, Maria. We're still friends. Yes, we are. We're in love now. We're friends it and we're true. in love. So I'm taking you out on a date as soon as I see you um, <laughs> in July for the World Series. Yes, sounds good. Can't wait. Okay. Well, thanks to everyone for listening. I hope you've gotten an insight into Maria that you didn't expect and haven't heard anywhere else. She's an awesome person, and I am glad that more of you will see some new little pieces of that through this podcast. Thanks so much to Maria, and I'll see you next time on The Heart of Poker.